Mutasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namutasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namutasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Udang Dhammang Sangang Namasami So there's a whole lot of things going on as you unpack the day, open the day up. A whole lot of things going on. Yeah. Uh, physical feelings, mental inclinations, memories, perceptions. Feelings about feelings, perceptions about feelings, feelings about perceptions. Feelings about inclinations, inclinations about feelings, perceptions about inclinations about feelings. <laughs> It'd be great to give back to work, wouldn't it? <laughs> when it's just, you're all programmed and just driven, there's no more. <laughs> there's all this kind of stuff, you're just buried. <laughs> so opening up the can of worms, <laughs> the wriggles, you know. <laughs> So, uh, experience is holistic. This isn't a particular system or technique. It's just experience is holistic. You know, we can be, you know, aware of some awareness of our physical form while we're thinking about something or inclining in a certain way and feeling warm, you know, at the same time. It's kind of a holistic thing. If you're driving a, a car, you can be aware of the how fast you're going, the other traffic on the road, where you're going to, and having a conversation with somebody in the passenger seat at the same time. Mm. Have this, so it's just like that, isn't it? Then with attention, attention is a particular um, inclination within awareness. Your attention is, oh, let's focus on that, you know, and then your attention is, a, is an inclination or a, what's called a sankara, which means it's constructed, it's formulated, I want to be there. Your attention goes to that thing. And then maybe when it's really strong, it's so strong that the other, the other experiences in the field of awareness sort of you know, fade out. You're just really with that one thing. You know? Which could be good, but a lot of the time it's not good. You know, because uh, we lose sensitivity, we lose receptivity. You know? We don't take broader things into account. We get fixated. We get uh, hypnotized by things that capture our attention. You know, why accidents happen. So fixated on your thoughts, we don't notice what we're doing. We don't notice where we're going. Mm. So this is attention. So that's one of the functions of our mind is to give attention, to formulate something to attend to. And... uh, for a contemplative, where you're trying to understand the mind and work skillfully with it, you want to not just be compulsively attentive, but determine what's worthy of attention. How do you determine what's worthy of attention? Well, you look at what your intentions are. That's your moral or ethical quality of why you're attending. You, know? you look at the quality of your intentions. Say, I'm attending this with a 
sympathetic ear, with a kindly eye, with an inquiring mind, you know, intending in that way. You know, so that's, a, that's, a, called a, that's a skillful intention. Because, and why is it skillful? Because it will lead, it feels good, it's got a pleasant feeling, agreeable, open, inquiring, sympathetic, and it leads to a skillful result. We learn something, we feel uh, loving, or we feel um, peaceful. And you get this kind of skillful feeling arises from that. And the Buddha said it's impossible, it cannot be, that any skillful intention leads to an unpleasant feeling. It is impossible, it cannot be the case that any skillful intention leads to an unpleasant feeling. Also, it cannot be the case that any unskillful intention leads to a pleasant feeling. <laughs> yeah. So this is really a, quite an important little piece to, to let sit in the mind and dissolve in the mind, let it have its effect. Yeah. Because um, you get different ways of feeling things. Yeah. Feeling, feeling is the big one. Yeah. We don't really follow laws, we follow feelings. Yeah. So if a law says, we're going to bust you and give you hell and lock you up if you do this wrong, then you obey. Because <laughs> you don't want the unpleasant feeling. Not necessarily because of the law, because of the feeling. <laughs> you know, feelings and interests. Yeah? Yeah. The feeling is the big one. So, and, and, uh, every, and, and you have two bases for feeling. One is the bodily base and one is the mental base. Yeah. So with the body you have uh, uh, sense data, which we call sensations, which are tactile sensations, touch something, or somatic sensations, which are more like internal bodily senses, like feeling tense, feeling um, relaxed, you know, internal sensations. You know, these are the data. And then you have the feelings associated with those data. Yeah. And pleasant. And there's three kinds. Uh, bodily, there's only two kinds, pleasant and unpleasant. It's as simple. And often it's pretty subtle. It's not it's slightly disagreeable. And so the, the way you check that out is saying, you know, this particular physical sensation, would I like this to continue? How would it be like to be with this for an hour? And think, oh, no. Tedious, boring. Okay, that's called disagreeable. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's acutely painful. But every, every physical phenomenon, which you call a sensation, internal or external, somatic or tactile, is associated as a feeling that goes along with it. And the feeling uh, gives rise to the inclination. We will always incline towards the pleasant and away from the unpleasant. Yeah. So that's the fundamental basic inclination. You can see this in, in children who tend to not mask their inclinations. As an adult, you start to kind of <laughs> cover it up a bit. <laughs> in children, they don't, they don't hide it. It's just like, oh, I want that, I don't want that. You know, you get angry, cry, want, grab. But adults, you sort of put a bit of you know, coating over all that stuff. So <laughs> you still feel the inclinations, but you know that's not that's not going to make me look good, and that's really important. So I look okay. I'm a socially acceptable. People like me, so I'll just you know have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you actually want to. <laughs> well, that really isn't the feeling at all. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then the, the mental, mental feelings are very complex. You know, actually, just to round it out, your visual, auditory, olfactory, and gustatory, that's the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, don't have feeling associated with them. They just give you sense data. Just as well, because having two bases is enough. To deal with, <laughs> particularly when they're going in different directions, you know, you get a mental, a physical feeling. Well, want that? You've got a mental, fe- a mental inclination. Well, it doesn't look very good. 
uh, look cool, you know. So you've got two different sets of inclinations jostling with each other, one trying to override the other. Because our mental feeling is based upon all kinds of uh, criteria. Yeah. But fundamentally, it's, it's based upon perception. Yeah. How, what this means to me, you might say, what this means to me. So, so something visual can give rise to a pleasant feeling, not because of the eye, but because the mind finds that beautiful, finds that attractive, finds that, you know, so that, it's the mind that does that. The eye doesn't do that. You know, tongue doesn't particularly like or dislike flavors, but the mind goes, yuck, you know, or, or yummy. And um, because, and as we can see, you know, some people don't like give filter fish for other people. It's the greatest thing on the planet, you know. <laughs> How come? It's probably about the same flavor, isn't it? But what, you've, what the mind has made of it. Or even associations, you know, this particular dish reminds me of something my mother used to make years ago and the tears start rolling, you know, it's so lovely. Other people, it's just, you know, so what? So you get these uh, mental perceptions or felt meanings that, are, that arise with sights, sounds, they're recorded, yeah. So, so things are experienced through that. And very often it's, it's something like, this signifies happy, comfortable, warm, loving, familiar, friendly, enjoyable, luxurious, you know, those kinds of things. And you see this very much, uh, the advertising world is, is very, uh, uh, I was going to say skillful, but I'm trying to use that word, but um, intelligent, you know, has a lot of uh, savvy in employing felt meaning, so you see something, you know, like an advertisement for a, you know, bottle of whiskey or something like that, you know, and it's this lovely amber-coloured liquid in a glass, and there's some, you know, handsome-looking guy holding it, and he looks really relaxed and cool. He's got exactly three and a half days stubble on, (laughs) no more, no less. And he's lounging, and it's sunset. And there's some adorable-looking woman giving him the eye. <laughs> and you think, well, I've got to get me some of that. <laughs> Over this fluid, which costs, you know, I don't know, $75 a bottle. And basically gives you a headache, bad for your liver. <laughs> Circulation problems, bad breath, digestive problems, drink too much of it, you get a real wreck, bleary-eyed, pot-bellied, and skint, broke. <laughs> but because the perception doesn't have all that on it, it says, you know, <laughs> you think you go and buy another bottle of the stuff. So these uh, perceptions carry this enormous glow, you know, they always have the feel-good glow or the opposite, you know, the, the dark terror, you know, they carry these packaged uh, experience, uh, flashes we get, you know, and uh, so the, all of the things from anything uh, being advertised, whether it's a screwdriver or a you know, dress or anything, always got this happy glow at the end of it. You see some, you know, good-looking guy handling a monkey wrench, looking happy. (laughs) Or people admiring him for his monkey wrench or something like that. (laughs) So you want to get one of those. For that glow, which lasts like about 14 seconds after you bought it. <laughs> so you think, well, that was, now I want something else instead. You get a, you know, English muffin or copper coffee. So you just keep shifting the glow factor from one to the next. This is called the consumer society, the... Uh, 
option society. So you can choose. You, you know, as one glow fades, you go. We go to the next glow. Mm. So that's the carrot, and you have the, the 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 other one is the the negative. You know, alone, left out. <laughs> you know, the future when you're alone, left out. Oh dear, the terrorists, the evildoers. Oh dear, you know. The other people, you know, oh dear. <laughs> Whoever they are, you know, whoever we choose to make the other, as our, as our object of negative perception, the fear, you know, or the rage, or the dark thing. Mm. So we have both of these, we have the glow and we have the dark. Mm. And they also internalize. We internalize. We have the glow of what we feel we could have, we could get to if we only did, or if we only met, or if we only were, we'd be in that glow. Because you've seen somebody else in that glow on the TV, on the advertisement holding their monkey wrench. So you too could be in that glow, folks. Forever, you know. And you set the right amount of glow items up, and you could be there. You know? So we have this; it gets internalized. There is a glow waiting for me somewhere. The right person with the glow is waiting for me somewhere, and I meet him or her. The glow will happen. And I'll be there. So, as we do, and it does, that's a little kind of flash does occur. And then the, she, something went wrong. Something wrong with you. Something wrong with me. Oh dear. Wrong glow. Get the next one. Or perhaps I'm I'm just not capable of that experience. Something fatally flawed. I've tried this, that, this, that, this, that. I'm still not getting it. So, you know, truth of the matter is there's something wrong with me. The dark. You are flawed, guilty, sinful, defiled, impure, brainless, the disadvantaged. Something wrong with you. The dark. Oh no, here it is. I don't know what it is, but something wrong with me. Otherwise I'd be in the glow by now. <laughs> yeah. So this is a piece of very powerful mythology that uh, the carrot and the stick that keeps us moving. Coming to a situation, which way is it going to go? Is it going to go towards the glow? Or is it going to go towards the dark? Which way is it going to go? We're not sure, you know. So then we get the kind of security measures in. Enough zafus. (laughs) tranquilizers, feel-good items, something to go, I'm not going in there naked, you know. (laughs) Get out clauses, uh, something, so that I don't have to go to that that, that dark place. But I want to make sure I get to the good bits as well. So which bits are going to be the good bits on retreat? Get to those, the glow bits. So the mind, of course, creates a huge amount of uh, possibilities around that. This is why it's it's uh, it's caught. It's caught between the carrot and the stick. It's caught. Yeah. And some of these uh, these places are terribly poignant for all of us, aren't they? Yeah. Feel like to be 
rejected or looked down upon or despised. God. To be loved, to be welcomed, to be befriended. You know? oh. yeah. Very poignant. To feel that we are succeeding in our lives. Feel that we're really miss losing it. Oh. Yeah. Very powerful. And who says? Who says that you're a success or a failure? Who says that? Hmm. Hmm. Who says you're part of the in group or part of the out group? Who who who's saying that? You know, falling behind, not keeping up, or trailblazing, leading the quest? Who says that? Who says how it should be? Who says how it should be? When you're feeling it's not the way it should be. Who said how it should be? Who said how you should be? Who said that? Where did those programs come in? Powerful programs that get established in our minds in order, we hope, They'll take us safely to the feel-good place and out of the feel-bad place. That's what those inclinations are for. If I do what I should be, I'll be in the feel-good place. If I am what I sh- should be, I'll be in the feel-good place. If I'm you know, okay with the group, I'll be in the feel-good place. Not okay with the group, I'll be in the feel-bad place. So those inclinations. Mm-hmm. This is the programming, isn't it? But even, uh, so, okay, you know, you really check them out. Like, okay, so if you buy a pair of Levi jeans, you'll be part of the people who are cool and accepted, right? You'll be in the feel-good, so you're going to buy a pair of Levi's, okay? If you get yourself uh, an iPod, you'll be in the feel-good place with everybody else, okay? Get that. If you, you know... <laughs> I remember somebody showing me, this woman showed me, she had a, well, like a, a purse, leather purse, and said, okay, you've got this purse. Now, she had another one with the word Prado written on it. This is the same thing, but one had the word, I think it was Prado or Gucci or some, some designer. I don't really up with this, believe it or not. <laughs> she said, this one, you know, $400, this one, same thing for this one. It's got the name on it. You're in, you show one of those, you casually bring out your purse with Prado written on it. You're in the feel good. You're part of the inn. You know where it's at. You're no fool. You you know. So we get the sense of what's a, a, a conformity, which means we group around external signs that our attention can trigger off as the acceptable, the good, the fashionable. You know, how you wear your hair, what kind of clothes you wear. Generally, you look at the ones you looked at 30 years ago, they're a real hoot, aren't they? People thought that was good, wow. You know, and then this one, you know, you've got sort of patches of purple hair spiked through your nose and different colored eyelashes on and this is cool for now. Then 10 years' time, you think, oh, my God, I'm awful. <laughs> yeah. But at that time, that was, that was this entrainment around attention, around what our senses can form, can formulate external signs mm-hmm. to get that feel good. And how trapped we get to that, enslaved we get by that. Feeling is, is the powerful one. You sit, you come into the hall, you sit down, a few moments, and then where's it going to come from? Sooner or later, one of them feeling things is going to get in, isn't it? And you're going to start jumping. <laughs> Something you think, oh, 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 here comes the feeling. Yeah. Oh, no, you know, half an hour, oh, no, the feeling, <laughs> an hour, the feeling. 
<laughs> comes in like the shark in the water. The little fishes start running around, wriggling and squirming this way, that way, to get away from that feeling thing. And the shark keeps homing in. So one, one uh, fundamental uh, Dhamma training is this sense of what's called sangwara, uh, restraint, or just don't grab the feeling. Just, just, just give it some space. You know? The shark comes in, you don't jump on it, you don't grab it, you just give it some space. This is the big one, the feeling sense. Let's give it some space, because the immediate, particularly mental perceptions, are extremely evocative. Being befriended, being belittled, get a flash of that, and there's an enormous jump reaction, shock reaction. You feel it there, right there, is is the catch. We become that. We become the stupid, the belittled, the left out, and we form within that. You get born into that, what that feeling has done your reactions to that feeling have done. You become enraged, you become guilty, you become saddened, you You get a slave form. We get enslaved by it. It makes us into something. I remember seeing a, a little clip, a film clip of this experiment they did on, do on rats, you know, poor old rats who just to say the word rat and immediately people start getting feelings. <laughs> so this rat, they put the electrodes in, his, in the brain and then they hook it up to something where it pushes a little button or lever with his nose and this thing goes into the pleasure center in the brain. So it's little dong, so he touches the button with his nose and it's dong flash of voltage goes into the pleasure center in his brain. Whoa, that was nice. Don't, does it again. Oh, that was nice. Don't, does it again. Can't stop doing it. You know? Dung, 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 dung. Hitting that thing. <laughs> and then they, they took this rat and then they got this little pleasure box of one. And then they took the rat about like two or three feet away and they put a, a zinc plate with electric current running through the zinc, zinc plate. And you can see this rat jumping across this plate with getting electric shocks as he's doing so in order to get to his pleasure button. It's got doo, 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 doo. <laughs> to get to that pleasure button. Dong, 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 dong. <laughs> so this thing will, will actually run across electrified um, metal to get to the pleasure plate button. Does this remind you of anything? <laughs> <laughs> See, people like in the, uh, the, uh, have the, I suppose they have the same thing in the States, January sales, you know, when suddenly everything's hyped up for Christmas, and suddenly after Christmas they want to sell off all the stuff they haven't sold, so the prices go down. There's people trampling each other to get to that, so they can give their money away. Because <laughs> somehow in spending $50 rather than $100, you're saving money. <laughs> Look, you save $50. What? I think I'm 50 No, no, you save $50. <laughs> so that sense of the gratification of having had a good deal. Pleasure. Agreeable feeling. And it's, uh, you know, it's a strong one, but it's associated with all our mental activities and there's some really disturbing things in there. Yeah. The pleasure of revenge. That so and so I really gave him hell. Wow, that's great. Feel really good. Oof. <laughs> you know, that's a big one, isn't it? For people when they get enraged, call it justice. <laughs> yeah. 
that lovely feeling of all that pent-up frustration. I just blew it on somebody. Oh, it feels really good. Revenge. Yeah. So, so you can't uh, trust the a feeling, basically. But there we are. We we have them. Every mental, every mental act, every mental object has a feeling associated with it. So. You know, you have to really, you can't avoid the feeling. Nor is it the case that all pleasant feeling is bad. Nor is it the case that all unpleasant feeling is bad. The pleasant feeling which is unskillful, pleasant feeling which is skillful, unpleasant feeling which is skillful, pleasant feeling which is skillful. Fundamental piece of the teaching to get and to, to really bear in mind and work with and you know, really make a big thing out of is the kind of feeling that arises with skillful intentions. It's not necessarily a big grab or exciting, but it's a sustained, pleasant feeling. Quite, kind of fairly, generally fairly quiet, but it can, in fact, be, can be quite powerful, like the feeling associated with forgiving. Yes. Oh, okay, you know, the relief. The feeling something like the sense of relief. Don't have to carry that burden anymore. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Skillful intentions will give rise to uh, pleasant feeling. So even in, in apparent um, paradoxes, you know, like you really did something wrong, unskillful, hurtful, painful, blameworthy, you know, not worthy of you, okay. And you hurt someone, and you, you really you knew you shouldn't have done, and it was bad, wrong. Yes. So then, okay, no, I didn't, I was just, you know, it was her fault anyway, and she's so bad to me, and, you know, I tried the best I can, and after all, I'm just human, you know, and I was having a bad day, you know, after all, thank goodness me, it's life. What's the matter with these people? You know, get over it. You know, why is she so sensitive? Look, I'm sorry. I really, you know, I want to say that that was unskillful. Suddenly you feel good. <laughs> you feel because you're actually clear, honest, open, you know. Whatever the justifications, it doesn't, everybody's right, you know, but you've made some sense of the unpleasant, the unskillful, I'm at least acknowledging it. I'm saying, yes, that's true. And that moment of truth, truth has a sense of agreeable. Now, the interesting thing about the human being is that the true, the good, the beautiful, in terms of our behavior, is pleasant. Yeah. When we are, we wish to be loving, peaceful, relaxed, friendly, and so forth. You know that we naturally know inclined towards as being not agreeable, and also when we're most astute and least distressed and least biased, we're actually wiser and happier when we follow those that fundamental inclinations. But. Uh, but, so is that realizing if we just, you know, do the, the good right now, the true right now, the honest right now, the worthy right now, that which is really worthy of me right now, then there will be this uh, agreeable feeling. And it's an agreeable feeling that leads to the diminution of greed, of aversion, of regret, of anxiety, of despair, of sorrow, of dukkha. That's the main point. It's, it's agreeable in the, in the present, and it leads to release. So those, that's, the, that's the trajectory. It's agreeable inclination, even if it means meeting a very disagreeable perception, like I blew it. You know? What is the main obstacle to doing this? There are two really. There are only really two obstacles when you look at it. One's called me, the other one's called you. 
So <laughs> these are fairly simple, but they are indeed quite weighty obstacles. One is, I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to look like I got it wrong. I don't want to lose my, my integrity. I don't want to lose my self-esteem. I don't lose face. I don't want to lose my pride. I don't want to lose advantage. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be some, you know, that, all that. And then you, I don't see why you should have it your way and I'm, you know. <laughs> so uh, these two things. So these are, well, actually, self and other, Mm. Who's that? Mm. Self is a, a phenomenon we all experience, mm. and when you, it's something that uh, a lot of inclinations go towards supporting and feeding and establishing and firming up and improving, and it is really insatiable. Yeah. So just use that word self for that experience of something that you feel is always there with you in your awareness. You want it to, to feel good. You work for it. Yeah. You try and placate it. You give it all kinds of education and programs, information. You take it places for holidays, vacations. You listen to it a lot. And it's still wants more. <laughs> it's that, that thing. And it generally, after a while, it starts telling you, you got it wrong, you know, you haven't done enough for me yet. Yeah. What I really need is one of those, then I'll be okay. This is what's called a self. So it's that, that it's needy. And we spend our lives uh, trying to feed this insatiable creature. And it says, if you just fed me right, I'd be good to you. <laughs> it doesn't know how to do that <laughs> because that's not its program. Its program is need. Its program is I want some support. I want to lean on something be fed with something, be established on something, uh, be seen in a certain way, it needs. It's a need program. Mm. And its needs can be quite subtle, you know, like uh, I need to feel I'm worthwhile. I need to feel that I've, uh, you know, done something worthwhile in my life. So I'm going to, you know, invent a Scooby-Doo or a something, you know, somebody's never done, but I'm going to, I'm going to go over the Niagara Falls in a barrel, you know. <laughs> okay, so it's already been done, ah, oh, dang it, well, I'll go over in a, in a half a barrel, you know, <laughs> twice. <laughs> so you have this, uh, you know, the Guinness, this Guinness Book of Records is full of these things that selves have done. <laughs> it's really amazing to see the things that these self things have done. They've eaten the most baked beans in the world. <laughs> Non-stop. There was one recently, a self that had, had in, gone through the longest kiss. It was something like 36 hours, <laughs> non-stop. These people locked. And this self, at the end of it, they finally they separated, <laughs> having you know, beaten all previous records. And this self said, well, I've done it for the good of the country. <laughs> So the nation can feel, you know, we've moved up. <laughs> moved up the list. We may not be good, much good at anything else, but we can kiss the longest. <laughs> Done something worthwhile in my life. Yeah. That's what selves are like. <laughs> So is it, you know, realize you, if you can't really ever satisfy it, do you, how much do you want to try? 
How much do you want to try? Or do you want to train it instead? The Buddha said you can train it. It doesn't have to be you can train it. You can say restrain, back, step back. You know, you know, know your place, step back. And go this way. You know, go towards integrity. Go towards morality. If you want to become something, do it that, go there, go there. Because these will take you to the places where with the ending of need, the ending of having to be supported by something, become something, it sort of evaporates. You know, that whole self-structure starts to loosen up and evaporate. Mm. Yeah. Now just kind of bear that in mind, I'm using the word self in quite a specific way to refer to a specific set or cluster of programs. The Buddha said you can get through this programming. Doesn't mean you're dead, doesn't mean you're a turnip, doesn't mean you're kind of, you know, kind of numbed out or something. But you don't have to have that program running. You can, I, you know, he said, I've done this. I'm still here. Actually, I'm a lot better for it. You know, and I say, well, who's that then? Say, you, you don't, no, no. <laughs> it doesn't work. You can't track it. You can't trace what that is. You, know, you could say, you know, if you want a nice term, holistic awareness, Buddha, awake, you know, okay, words. But you can't place it as something that needs to be supported by an action, by a sensation, by a feeling, by something else. You know, it doesn't need that. Therefore, it's this supremely fluent and giving place because all that energy that's normally kind of working around how do I support and feed this thing is now available for the welfare of others. So, this, who is this? This, you know, that which needs, wants, is frustrated. You know, when we come to that, there's the, there's the feeling, the inclination, and then, you know, when we come to a disagreeable feeling, whatever that's based upon, having had a bad day, having got stuck in a traffic jam, having, you know, stained your dress, whatever it is, just meet the feeling with restraint. Just, there it is, okay. Don't have to hold on to this one. I've got an option here, just. And because what feeling does is it's attractive. So in that attraction, if you notice, attracted to a feeling, your mind tunnels down. It narrows down on that feeling. Woo, there it is, this is terrible. This is wonderful. You know, the feeling does that. It, it's like a magnet, pulls the mind into a narrow, highly attentive, highly galvanized state. You know, and so the feeling becomes really intense because you're in the most receptive, most focused on that feeling. So it becomes really intense and it pulls you in further. The point when you're really strong feeling is you just start to spin out of control altogether. Like intoxication, crazed, overwhelmed with lust, overwhelmed with anger, overwhelmed with greed, you're really out of control and it's just blowing. You know? And you panic or go berserk. And people do this. And uh, suicide, you know, depression gets so intense, you just think, I just, you know, there's no way out. Kill yourself. People do this. We're the only ones who do this, humans. You know, this amazing ability for us to, to that attention to get grabbed and the, the mental feelings become so deeply poignant that it's no longer worth existing. This is the inheritance of mind, is this. Other creatures don't have that much mind going for them. Yeah. We've got this, this mind thing and this is powerful. Uh, so when you're dealing with a mind with its powerful inclinations towards feeling and towards attention, to give attention to feeling to the point of killing yourself, you know. That's how it will override the life instinct. The rat running across the electric bridge is nothing compared with a human being, you know. Then you think, this is a powerful system, you know, back off 
and get some, get some, some uh, space around this. So the sangwara is the restraint, a sense of checking, backing off. Yeah. It doesn't so much, it could even mean repression or suppression, but mostly it's just backing off, widening, softening, just let's not go into that. Let's just get a softer focus on that. Try to see the feeling in the broader perspective, which as we contemplate the second foundation of mindfulness, this is the feeling of rising, this is its passing, this is the rising and passing, this is changing, this is moving. Lengthening, widening the focus spatially, you might say, also widening the focus in a temporal. It could take a little bit longer with that. Feeling is an instant hit. Let's just give it five minutes, you know? It's not going to kill you to go without. It's not going to kill you to be with this. Just give it five minutes and see if that's going to, how that process is going to move on. Mm-hmm. So widening. And uh, yeah, because of the, the power of, of feeling, uh, the restraint is just like that, just the pausing, checking how we meet the feeling. In that, you begin to recognize, uh, you know, what, how feeling works is it gathers energy to it. You know, the attraction, the pull into it, there's an energy that shifts, isn't it? Yeah. So you see something that's agreeable, say pleasant sound, you know, ooh, and then your energy goes into that and you find yourself swinging, dancing, feeling uplifted. Energy starts moving through you. That's why we like to listen to music. Yeah, because of the that the mind being moved, its energy, mental energy, starts to synchronize with what we moved by. You know, sounds, sights, and so forth, which themselves have no feeling quality. But they inspire the mind, and the mind gives its energies in that way. So, as we're saying, sensation, feeling, energy. Slightly different things, all bound up with each other. In terms of the mind, you have perceptions, intentions, feelings, energies. Energy is that which shifts, the shifting. Shifting from this to that. It's the sense of uh, pressure, driven, that's an energy state. Relaxed, that's an energy state. Open, that's an energy state. Close, that's an energy state. What else is it? How do we experience such experiences? Really, you know, excited, revved up, on fire, strongly inclined towards, there's an energy there, isn't there? Lethargic, late, you know, not that interested, there's an energy there. Shiftings of energies, you know. And those, those, that quality of energy, as it shifts, as it's kind of allocated to feeling, is what gives rise to the experience of being of reality. You know, this thought in my this perception in my mind seems so real. This memory is so real. This opinion about about you or about life or about the world is so real. It really is real. You know, this feeling of inadequacy is so real for me. It's so real and strong. It's the strongest thing going. Really strong. What, gives it, what makes it so strong? Well, there's the feeling, but there's a huge amount of energy that goes with that. It's the energy that gives rise to the sense of reality. Mm. Yeah. You feel convinced because your energy has gone there. Where your energy goes, energy, you might say, is the building brick of self, of form, you know, where energy inclines that we get established on, that we get established on, where energy goes. Whether your energy is going into basket weaving or canoeing or whatever it is, you're in that, that's your world. And those topics in that area of basket weaving or canoeing become very real and important for you. So you get very refined on details of that particular thing. This is you know, and you get disappointed with it. Football teams, you know. And your energy goes into a particular football team. And you get really uplifted when they win and really crushed when they lose. You know? 
losing, winning, what's happening, you know, some people throw a ball around, kick a ball around on a piece of grass, big guys, somebody, you know, winning, losing. But your energy's with that team in that strip. They've got the red or the blue or whatever it is, and your energy's with that team. That becomes your world. And in, in uh, I guess it's the same in the States, in Britain, this is um, your football or soccer. It's a, it's a basic religion of the country. It fulfills what religion used to do. Once a week, the devotees go to the local temple, <laughs> make offerings, <laughs> yeah. receive the blessing, and, that, and that's their world. And so the, the rest of the week is really leads up to that day. And you are a supporter of, you know, Liverpool, <coughs> Manchester United, whatever it is. You know, you, you're a supporter. That's who you are. You wear the rosette. You have the scarf. You've got the colours. You sing the songs. That's who you are. And the rest of it is just getting the money in order to, to be that, you know. That's who you are. Your energy's gone into that. Could be other things. I was on a walk the other year and I came across a guy and I was just walking on a footpath and I saw this guy and I was asking for directions. He had a garden shed and he was standing, he was polishing a bike. I said, oh, that's a nice bike. And he opened his shed and he's got three of these bikes, big racing bikes. One's a I don't know, Suzuki, one's a Ducati, and something else, some other big bike. And every screw, every bolt on this bike is just gleaming. It's polishing. It's every little nut bolt on this bike is just gleaming. He's looking, he said, this one, 150 miles an hour. He says, this one, this one, this one. This one is 200 miles an hour. I can get out of this thing. He's just kind of quivering with glee. And he said, he's got three of these bikes. He said, and the wife said, if I get another one, she's leaving me. <laughs> and he said, what she doesn't know, and he opens up, he's got another shed with two other, two, two other bikes in <laughs> I mean, this is serious eroticism. I mean, this, you know, this guy has given, this is what eroticism is. You give your energy to your bike, you know, and the bike eventually means more to you than... <laughs> everything else in the world, or your football team, whatever it is, energy goes there, that's your world. If something happens to that thing, you know, it's serious business. And you study all the magazines and all the details of this, that, and the other around that thing. It's become your world. So something to another person is just a you know, piece of metal with some wheels for going from A to B, or a group of guys running around a pitch, on a, on a, or running around a field on a Saturday afternoon, to me is... Energy. It's 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 exaltation. It's 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 God, you know. <laughs> and it could be rock stars, you know, whatever. You know. So the, these are when you feel the huge amount of energy that shifts towards these experiences, and it kind of holds us together. You know, holds our self experience together because our self needs to be held by something, and. Uh, the most, most reliable things to be held together by are fantasies. Because <laughs> reality doesn't really do it very well. You know, you know, it doesn't actually support selves. Fantasy, that's what we want. So plug in the fantasy. You know, fantasies are designed to support selves. You know, and you spend money, money, money to support the fantasy. Everyone wants a fantasy of some kind. Yeah, or every self does, the self wants that. Wants to meet a fantasy person, have a fantasy romance, a fantasy marriage, have fantasy children, live in a fantasy house in a fantasy neighborhood, and have fantasy weather. <laughs> you know, it's all like that. Not, that's, that's what self wants, you know. Yeah. And then it's our wisdom capacity comes behind that and goes, wee, wee, what, careful, you know, what's happening here? What's this about? Restraint. And then meeting the fact that self doesn't get on very well with reality. (laughs) 
It's called the first noble truth. It doesn't actually <laughs> do reality very well. So, uh-oh, you know, <laughs> what's going to give here? Well, the, uh, the Buddha said the best thing to do is actually, uh, you know, aim for reality and start to let go of self. <laughs> yeah. that, that will be for a long-lasting welfare. And do this through skillful intentions, not through some kind of, you know, humiliation experience or breaking your ego or, you know, humiliating yourself or denying yourself or pretending, pretending you don't exist. Because these intentions don't feel very good. Do it through skillful intentions like generosity, where we give a little bit of our need, you know, for you, you know. So, do it through patience, do it through kindness, do it through um, resolution. Just stay with that. And yourself goes, well, I've had this for three minutes, something else, please. No, no, stay with that. I've done this for five minutes, something else. No, no, stay with that. Stay, just, just stay with that. Calm down, stay with that. Get more quiet and down. You know? So this is where you train yourself. And the Buddha likened it to training a wild elephant. Hmm. You park alongside it, and you start to soothe it, calm it, relax it, and then you get hold of it. And it starts to struggle. Then you have to, you know, get with it and train it. Train it, come back, sit still, move forward, go this way, go that way. But always with the intention, this will be for our welfare. This is not a humiliation process. This is taking us to the good place. And he said, then the elephant becomes strong. So then the the self starts to transform into a much more relative experience of patience, of courage, of kindness, of gentleness. So these faculties come into play, and these are not need faculties. These are are giving qualities. They are relational the other experience we have, the sense of other and what that carries, what others might think, what others might imagine, what others might feel about me. You know? So this is where another huge basis of feeling goes. Mm. What would others say if I did this? What do others think of me now? Mm. You know? Probably, you know, I imagine for most people, you make that question, you know, well, I don't know, but could probably be thinking something not very good about me. Is our normal experience of others, particularly a group of others, one of unconditioned acceptance, welcoming? <laughs> you know, it's lovely when you get those gestures, isn't it? When you come to, I certainly get that a lot when I come to these places, you know, that sense of really, really wanting to make you welcome and feel beautiful feeling. But interesting enough, you sit quietly, you know, the default, the shadow other comes up. You know, I'm probably doing something wrong that people are just too polite to mention at the moment. You know, sometimes people say, is it all right if I stand up? Yeah, okay. Feeling if you're not actually doing the norm, you might get, you know, the dark, the blame, the others. You're not fitting in with the the crowd, the blame, the dark, the others, you know? The mind isn't, isn't, if you could only read my mind, oh no. Well, I've read minds. I read mine, one mind all the time. <laughs> and as far as I know from the notes that other people's minds have made, it's about the same thing. <laughs> So really, who the other that we create, we feel intimidated by, we feel lessened by, we feel we want to placate. Who is that? Who is that right now? Who is that sense? You know, is it how true is it? It seems to me that uh, I don't know. I don't know the others really. I don't know. I you know really don't know. 
but there's a default mechanism that to make sure that I'll be all right. And that defense or that performance or that facing sort of comes up as a, as a ready mechanism to make sure that, you know, the others see me in a positive light. You know, that kind of thing comes up, isn't it? Kind of instinctive reaction, isn't it? Because it might be the most difficult uh, set of feelings that we, on a mental level that we experience and we have experienced is the disapproval, rejection of others. You know, that's, fundamentally, that's, that's the one the mental feeling that really hits. And if you have a few of those, you don't want any more of them. <laughs> because it's extremely uh, deep, poignant. And perhaps, you know, if, if this, when we've all experienced this at some time or another, that memory, that sense is there. I was, you know, humiliated, rejected, left alone, talked down to, beaten up, blamed, abandoned. It's so terrible that we don't want to have anything like that happen again. So, we, you know, it comes to make sure I'm all right. Yeah. Even if, like, you had 1% of that, and the rest of it was kind of okay. Still, you can spend a whole lifetime doing performances to make sure that that thing doesn't happen again. Doing performances to make sure that thing doesn't happen again. Yeah. So, so driven by the sense of the other. And what we surely should also know is that Whatever we do, someone will blame you. As the Buddha said, there never was and never will be someone who is not blamed. Otherwise, that experience will happen to us. Whatever we do, yeah. however high your standards, your performance is still, there'll be some blaming, some sense of you didn't get it right for me. You know? mm. Our feeling, the feeling of that. That's why it's so important to make sure that, you know, the one reliable place you have that isn't caught between the carrot and the stick, between the imagined self and the other, is your intention intention, inclination, you do the good, you do the right, you do the true as best you can, rest in that, stay with that, recognize the painful feeling will still happen, but it's not, won't be based upon your intention, you'll have that. So if you, somebody else didn't like it, okay, didn't like it, right, my intention was that, stay with that, Acknowledge with compassion the difficulties of others or the pain of others. Okay, well, we'll try again. So it doesn't have to be, it can be just a sense of, oh, that was inaccurate. Oh, that's a better way to do it. Ah, oh, she needs it like that. That's, that's no problem. There's not the pain in that. There's just the sense of, okay, right, information needed. This is how to do it. Do it like that, rather than, oh, no, you're wrong, reject it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just, then we have a way to address things that we've made mistakes on without this wounding experience. Yeah. So we can, we can, so that's through really purity of intention, practicing mindfulness, and you've got some, some place you can rely upon. Still, as we know, we get it wrong, it isn't always liked, it doesn't always work, but that's just a, a navigational factor. <laughs> it's just navigation and information is required. It's not a moral uh, blame. It's not, you don't have to form yourself around it. The feeling isn't there. It's just function. So in this way, you contemplate feeling. Restraint is a word 
the feeling is, oh no, oh, sound of that, can't do it means, unpleasant feeling. <laughs> you know, just around the perception restraint. But the experience, just checking, holding, pausing, waiting, long-term, skillful, long-term, good, long-term, freer. Yeah. Restraint around the pleasant, restraint around the unpleasant. When the unpleasant happens, we don't have to go into the panic, the defense, the blocking, the denial, just unpleasant. Wait, pause, it's like the pause button. Widening, softening, feeling your body, coming into center, feeling balanced, then, okay, now what's the appropriate inclination now? What's the appropriate intention now? Doing this thoroughly, even when you're practicing your meditation, you know, every time your mind wanders off, okay, navigation, that's all it's needed, navigation. Moral blaming, not required, just navigation, navigation error back there, you know, rather than, oh, I can never get this thing going, I can't do this, something wrong with me, wrong with him, the teaching's no good, my protest was no good, failed, let me down, another glow experience that didn't happen for me, everybody else is getting it right, and I can't do this, you know, the glow has turned into the shadow, just no, 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 navigation error, that's all. <laughs> There, there, there. Yeah. So that, that wonderful moment when we just pause. So, so beautiful. And sometimes you just want to stay in a pause. Not you know, do anything more than just be, be living, live in that pause moment. And see where, where your mind naturally inclines. Where it inclines when it's not driven by the carrot or the stick, where it rests. This is really interesting, where your mind will rest, when it's not driven by the group, what I should be, what other people are doing, what I want to be, just where it finds its own rest and peace and truth. This is the mystery. It can't be done by itself. That's the one thing you know. <laughs> but it can happen. So let's um, take a pause there.